We started. All right. Well, hashtag RTBTH. That's the podcast. Real talk beyond the headlines. This is your co-host, Tunde. Big shout to Herschel and Ehi, the other co-hosts. But today we have some very special guests. For some people who have listened to the podcast, you'll know that I am working on my degree in counseling psychology to be a psychologist. And guess what? I have two other psychology students here with us today. God damn it. Today's a good day. Um, we have some topics to discuss, but, you know, let's introduce our guests. We have Dark and Kahlo. Dark, what's good? Yo. Yeah, so it's Dark. Um, as you said, Tunde, I'm studying clinical psych. Yeah, and I'm a, a part of a, a fellowship at BMC. And um, yeah, I'm very much interested in Black mental health um, and doing a lot of work with uh, Black populations around anxiety, depression, uh, trauma, et cetera. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much me, and I'll, I'll pass it off. Appreciate you, Dark. Carlo, what's good? Hey, hey, Tunde. Thanks for having me. So my name is Carlo, Carlo Sokoto. I am an international student from Kenya, and I'm doing my PhD in counseling psychology at West Virginia University. Um, and, and I'm currently in Boston doing my fellowship at um, the Center for Multicultural Training and Psychology with Derek. Yeah, glad to be here. Yes, lovely. So uh, this is the world that we wait in every single day is mental health. And in our clinical practices and our research, a lot of that mental health is the mental health of minority individuals, things like that. Uh, we're working to become licensed psychologists. Mm. Um, Dark and Kahlo are so damn close uh, without telling too much information, but they have made some significant milestones in recent months. Uh, so big shout to y'all. Big shout to the international psychology training experience, because I'm yes. sure that is yes. that is very yes. complicated, very hard. But we need mm -hmm. and uh, we, we really need your perspective in this world, in this profession. Um, so I'll give a little bit of a background. But Dark, I think you can probably, you know, uh, elaborate in more detail. But we came together to go to an event uh, in Brockton, Massachusetts. We're all here in Boston. But in Brockton, Massachusetts, Dr. Umar Johnson, the uh, school psychologist and the uh, firebrand commentator, perhaps is one way of describing him, mm -hmm. spoke right there in the flesh. Dark, uh, can you give us a little bit of background, just, you know, how you heard about it, how you brought us together? Yeah. So, uh, as you said, Dr. Dr. Umar, uh, Dr. Ifa Tunde, or the uh, the prince of the, the self-proclaimed prince of Pan-Africanism, made his rounds on the on the on the internet over the past ten years with going viral on different you know various uh, various platforms and um, has taken the conscious what's called the conscious community by storm in terms of enlightening folks on like just the state of the race for for black people in the african diaspora um black uh black people people of african descent trying to connect to 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 africa and and a sense of empowerment in in a, a society of racism and colonization so um i think he's done a lot for uh, for increasing awareness um, through some of his interviews, books, lectures, and things like that. So um, I got word of his um, 
of his uh, sort of lecture through social media, um, different flyers and things came around. And um, I saw that he had like a state of like a state of the race lecture where he was sort of giving an update on where things are in terms of the the um, the challenges and barriers facing people of African descent and sort of giving solutions, ideas, perspective on, on how to move forward properly. So. You know, of course, I thought about uh, you know two of the two of the greatest thinkers in, in my circle and just in my just in, encounters in, in, in Boston and wanting to um, wanting to get perspective. I think it's so important when encountering people who visionaries, people who offer such solutions to to really sit with like-minded individuals and, and strategize and think about, you know, what, what about this works? What about this feels right? You know, what about this feels right, but maybe um, may not land well with our community or may not land well with certain parts of our community. How do we hold that and how do we move forward? So um, I just wanted to to share share perspective with like minds and um, I, tap, I tapped in and, and, you know, we got together um, and we had a time. We had a time. Mm-hmm. So we did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. thank you, Dark, for uh, bringing us together. That was my first time meeting Kahlo. Pleasure to meet you. Um, mm-hmm. But we vibe on many levels. I had yeah. sort of ascertained very quickly. We vibe on many levels. Um, so we, we'll talk about like the actual event in a second. But Kahlo, any thoughts just about like that initial coming together, uh, going to Dr. Mm-hmm. Umar, like kind of that expectation of seeing him? Yeah. So... That that whole point that Derek just made about uh, like minds, like just coming together with folks that, um, that you know, we share a similar vibe in one way or another. But specifically, just as you know, Dr. Umar Johnson is, he brings he brings an alternative voice to psychology, which is so rare um, in our training. Um, it's very, our training is very Eurocentric, and so. For me, I remember the first time I heard about Dr. Umar Johnson was from one of our, um, one of my mentors who's uh, from Chicago, actually, but he lives in Kenya. And I just remember thinking, wow, like there's another way, there's a different way of thinking um, and one that includes us. So, you know, Dr. Umar Johnson, just as a person that loves uh, people, but loves black people and centers black people in in psychology um, is was so important to me. Um, and then, so there's that, and then there's the part of meeting, going for this meeting with the with the both of y'all. I think that was so new for me as well. So my training has been again in predominantly white institutions, and so I have not had the opportunity to. Yeah, to just roll with black psychologists. So for me, it was another. So yes, it was awesome meeting Dr. Umar, but it was also just very awesome going to listen to Dr. Umar with two other black psychologists. Like that was, you know, in my, yo, we've been in school for long. But if you think about four years of undergrad, two years of master's and five years of postdoc, and this is the first time I'm rolling with black psychologists, like when mm-hmm. I'm finishing mm-hmm. my PhD. That's serious. That's actually very concerning, you know, yeah, very yeah. concerning for any black psychologist. Um, and so that was big for me, like being being with you two in that space. Um, yeah. And and the same goes for this this podcast. So Tunde, shout out to you as well for for yes. kind of bringing us together in this space. Absolutely. Yes, 
Hashtag RTBTH is the name of the podcast. I know uh, our big co-host Herschel would love to be speaking about these topics. So we probably going to have to get him on the podcast in the future. Yeah. It might have to be DKTH. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know. That, that doesn't sound as good. That doesn't sound as good as DKT, but big shot Herschel. I just want to say, you know, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to disparage our profession because I absolutely love psychology and love mental health. But it, to me, it's, it's hella white. The same way skiing is hella white. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Just to give you some information, 1% of professional psychologists are black men. I believe about 3% of professional psychologists are black women. So, you know, I I don't think every statistic should align with population statistics. But if you go with that sort of metric, it's there's underrepresentation. So when Kahlo says this is the first time she's going to this sort of event with other black psychologists, you know, it's, it's pretty like unfortunate, but it's also the standard, the expectation, the APA also, you know, you, you say that Dr. Umar Johnson brings a, a different voice and he says it and he brings that voice very loudly. We'll talk about shortly in his presentation, but the APA, the American Psychological Association, but also the American Psychiatric Association, just to let you guys know, and for the listeners, the actual APA is the a- the American Psychological Association. You know, it's APA.org for American Psychology and Psychiatry.org for APA, American Psychiatric Association. Just putting that out there. We are mm-hmm. the APA. But both APAs have released apologies to black people since George Floyd. I, for, I think uh, psychiatry was 2021. I believe psychology was 2022. So there, there is acknowledgement in the field that, that there has been some disparity, whether it's in the voices of people uh, who are of a part of the field. But also, I mean, I think both apologies were specifically talking about were issues that these professions have perpetrated upon uh, people of color. You heard it here first. Uh, we finally made it. Welcome to RTBTH. Real talk beyond the headlines. It's about to get real. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the event that we went to. Dr. Umar Johnson um, came to Brockton to speak. I guess he does lectures regularly for the community, for black people. He spoke a lot about students' experiences in schools, black boys mostly, but some talk about black girls. I, I hadn't realized like he was so adept at school psychology. I guess he's a school psychologist, but I guess in my mind and in the media, you just see him as this like commentator of black stuff, you know, black people's experiences and pan-Africanism, but he's actually a well-spoken school psychologist. But I want to kind of maybe discuss a little bit about the the priors, if you will, of prior to actually seeing him speak. And, you know, I'll be honest, I think I really only knew him profoundly through a breakfast club interview that he did uh maybe four five six months ago um he he was very 
abrasive <laughs> in his speech. Um, I thought that he spoke some things that were very on the breakfast club, but also in person that were very proactive for black people. But, you know, it, it, things just get so caught up in the pan-Africanism and, you know, his thoughts on like interracial marriage and things like that. And I think some of it's problematic, but when you sit there and listen to him, he speaks a lot about optimism and, and progress and, and strength for black people. And that for me is really hard to ever argue against. So frankly, I'm still trying to make sense of Dr. Umar in my head. You know, I, I have to show respect and appreciation because he's a, he's a psychologist, you know, but he has a pretty hard stance on some particular race relations. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to say that I've gained maybe a, an iota of clarity after hearing him in person, but yourselves, your priors of Dr. Umar Johnson. Yeah. So kind of similar. I, I got introduced to him through the breakfast club. I think he has, he's been on there maybe like five or six times. And, um, uh, I, I felt like I just kind of watched his journey from the first, some sort of the first visit and just how it evolved in terms of his message, in terms of the views and just, you know, for me, it was just about keeping tabs on the black voice on a conscious black voice in the media and the public media. And just seeing like, how does this work? Like, how does this, how does this play out? Like, and for, and for me, I don't know if there, like, if there is a voice that speaks to what he speaks to, um, to that degree that has gotten that sort of like publicity, um, who has had that sort of rapport with the hip hop sort of music entertainment community, the younger generation, like I think bridging that has been very, very key and just, just sort of salient in his movement over the years. So that's sort of my, my encounter, just sort of softly watching his breakfast club interviews. I don't know if there is much else that I've encountered in terms of his output. Um, there's definitely like different YouTube, videos that happen. I think he goes live on Instagram and things like that. So I've caught some of those in the past few years, but I think it largely started from the breakfast club for me and just sort of being curious and like, where's this black voice going, you know? Yeah. Um, for me, like I said earlier, it was, uh, I was introduced to him by a man called Curtis Reed. And this was when I was in Kenya for my undergrad. That's why I did my undergraduate studies. And I was doing psychology and um, I was part of a club, um, a student's club called Agenda Africa. And basically the agenda was people of African descent. So within the continent, without the continent, just discussing things that matter to us and that are with the premise that these things are rarely discussed in our education system. Um, and so we had to create a space to discuss things that matter to us. And if you realize, I just said that my education was in Kenya, which is in Africa, yet the system was not discussing things that centered us as Africans. So that that itself, you know, it just gives you the, an idea of what the climate, uh, the education um, climate feels like. Um, as you're asking questions about yourself, who you are, and how you fit into this world, and, and you're and, and your education system doesn't have answers for you. So I was in this club where we we were discussing things um, that mattered to us. 
And um, Curtis Reed brought, was uh, one of the mentors for that club. He's a professor, and, and he's an African-American professor who was teaching philosophy in, in the university I had gone to. I was at Easter University. And so he um, introduced uh, Dr. Umar as from the angle of, you know, from, from his expertise as a psychologist, but also as an education, as an, um, as someone who values education and specifically education of black, um, black and brown children. And so my encounter with Dr. Umar Johnson was very, very liberating for me because I was, I was the first time I was reading his work, it was, or watching his stuff, it was his critique of like, fundamental um psychological theories and and just his his critical um perspective was just refreshing it wasn't even for me about whether it's right or wrong it was just like whoa you know someone just took a jump at this you know someone has has the audacity to challenge maslow's theory i was just like that was exciting to me. <laughs> I was like, yes. you know, so um, I wasn't, yeah. And then it was a black man at that that was able to do that. And uh, so that was, that just, that just got me excited. Um, but that was, you know, when I was in undergrad and then I have since, I've since um, developed um, and I've also grown and I've been more exposed and all that stuff. And so I feel like it was really nice to see him in person because, I saw him with with time after so much time of of having inter being introduced to his work, and it was a really new and refreshing way of engaging with him again. Um, yeah, but that was my prior. So my prior was like, whoa. Did you just do that? Did you just say Maslow? No, no, no Maslow. <laughs> Did you just yeah, so that was that was fresh. That was fresh. That was fresh for me. Uh, yeah, you you make some good points. Carlo, um, our profession, uh, the researchers, the academic psychologists, they research conformity, um, but I don't know if it's really well explained or well discussed, like the amount of conformity that goes into like the training to become a psychologist and um, the theories that stand the test of time, which sound great. You know, I think Maslow is like a sensible theory. I don't know how much of there's like a, of a research empirical evidence base for it but it sounds really nice um you know the maslow's hierarchy of needs for those who are unaware but you know it, it also makes sense like it's not probably not going to make sense for africans P perhaps doesn't make even sense for african americans in the united states uh so you know he's very bold and confident in his ability to dr umar johnson in his ability to really you know challenge the concepts of psychology the theories the sort of status quo um so on to the actual event i mean i have to say i think the man is such a fantastic order i mean the booming voice the jokes the the humor the 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 eye contact i was sitting off to the side a little bit but i'm sure he was looking at people dead in the eye um the the willingness to to say some things that are kind of crazy you know like uh he he made this you know he was talking about how he has a conscious singles conference and he said black women cannot get in there unless they have natural hair and it was funny but i think Yo. he was also dead oh. ass serious yes yes 
<laughs> the, the 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 delivery um so that that's what st- stood out to me first y'all can comment on that or other things but you know we'll you know discuss more the actual content of his uh discussion but you know just what were those sort of like what was the what was the feeling of being around him like i think uh kind of like kind of like you day like i i was i was caught in like his charisma i think he has such an amazing way of keeping the audience close kind of like we're in a huddle or like he's giving people a hug. And um, I think that means a lot because even if you're there and the message doesn't resonate or if there are sort of misunderstandings, it, it communicates a, a good intention, possibly like a well, 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 intent, well intended sort of sharing. And um, I think I'm glad that, that at, at the least that's like what we can take away from being in spaces where we're attempting to experience solidarity or attempting to understand this like extremely complex thing called racism and um, as well as uh, colonialism. Like these things are so, um, so disruptive that any attempts to understand them, like I, I think it, it, it may be difficult to make full sense of it, you know? And I think that's something that I'm like, just taking away from being in those spaces and just thinking like, what, 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 what should I expect from people who really want to figure this thing out and give it their all? And um, I think I was just glad to be in a space with somebody who was really, who I, who I felt was really thinking through things and really trying to give it their all. Um, so I think that was my sort of my initial takeaway from being in this space. Like, wow, like listen to this voice. Um, it made me feel like I was in church in some ways. Like I was like, you can tell that he's kind of somebody who spent some time around, um, people who spoke greatly and people who had a, com- a convict, uh, a convicting message. Um, so that's something that kind of felt familiar to me. And I think it's so nice to have, like, to have, um, I don't know, just a traditional way of sharing and hearing things. I just value that, you know, it may not mean a lot to other people, but I just felt, I felt like, you know, I felt like uh, something about my past was coming back up to me, given that I personally spent a lot of my youth in like, um, in the church with my mother. Uh, so just having that feel of someone who was calling for more just, uh, just resonated. So. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought to myself, like he didn't, appear to be like really promoting anything in a, in a heavy way. I feel like when you come and see people and it was kind of packed out, you know, so it, it, his presence was sort of expected and received, um, in a mild celebratory way, c- celebrity ish way, whatever, <laughs> forget mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. of that, but like, you know, people kind of were expecting and wanting him there. You know, he wasn't promoting nothing he wasn't like posting the instagram this and that he did promote his book which by the way if you write a book you have every right in my opinion to promote it as much as you want you know but like you said dar it felt like you know just come and talk come you know hear what this man has to say i mean he took 20 questions 25 Mm -hmm. questions was it you know i think Mm -hmm. he you know yeah he, he obviously has like a need to have a a business or some sort of like you know, career aspirations, I guess you could say, you know, but I, I feel it, it appeared, it felt as if his, his drive was for the people. Um, so I, I hear what you're saying, dark. Anyway, Carlo, what are your thoughts on just like that presence? You know, any takeaways you had just in general from, uh, hearing his talk? Yeah. So I feel like, um, 
the the mo- one of the first things that I felt when I was in that space was like both of you have alluded to the that people showed up. People showed up. Mm-hmm. This is a mm-hmm. you know this this room was packed. It was packed and guys like we came from far. So we, I, I'm curious where folks were even coming from, but I I I probably I don't think we were the only ones that came from far. Basically, I, I'm and this was a, a good number of people mm-hmm. came from Boston. Well, and by the yeah. way, Boston and Brockton is about what twenty five miles apart, so it's it's a bit of a drive. It's a bit of a drive, right? Yeah, that's that's a good context. And this guy, so the the room was full. It was a weekday. You know, people are busy. It's Boston. People have to make money to pay bills. <laughs> like this place is not like the countryside. Like by the time you're going to an event in the in the evening, like it better be something, you know? So people showed up. They had, he had a full room um, of black folks. And that's a negative thing. I feel like black folks are very stingy with their time. They're like, I only go to places that are going to serve me. You know, <laughs> I don't just, I'm just not, you know? So I, I feel like, and parents are that. There were parents. These are not just young, like, teenagers that have the time and are just doing high school. These are adults. These are people that are having to show up who are families. And some of them even had their kids there. It's a packed room. I just noticed that. And it was um it was just for me, it was evidence that there is there is a hunger for something and people are coming to get fed. And and Dr. Umar Johnson is meeting a need. And that is that for me is powerful. Um, and even though I do have, I, I, I don't agree with everything Dr. Umar Johnson says. And just and, an example is what you gave. You know, I, I do feel like, and we can dis- I can discuss that later. But all in all, he was speaking to something that is needed to be spoken about. In the black about the black community and needs that the black community has, and as we all know, generally, um, these are needs that are often sidelined. So he's centering, he's centering the needs of black families and black individuals, and that's so important. So that for me was just. I walked into that room with you guys. I remember we we're trying to find a seat. I was like, this is a good problem. I was not even frustrated that I'm standing. I'm like, this is a good yes. problem, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yes, let us stand. Let us be standing. Because people have shown up and they're being there's something that is needed and it's being offered here. So I was I was like, I'm all in. For sure. It's so crazy because as much as there were people and it was hard to find seating, everybody found a seat. Like how did they manage that? They they bought brought yeah. seats out of nowhere. Everyone so found a seat, an actual yeah. like chair to sit on. Yeah. So big shot to him. All right, let's talk about the the psychology because he talked mm-hmm. a lot about mental health, uh, the the sort of school experience of black boys. You know, he talks about there are no first of all there there are very few men who become teachers, and much much less of them are black men and. You know, I don't want to take away from anything that women teachers do, but I do think he makes a good point of like needing that male uh, sort of intervention um, when throughout a young man's development, you know, Um, particularly perhaps in communities where a lot of black men are locked up. You know, I will stand by this forever, but 
mm-hmm. all issues that you think about black men start off with the incarceration issue and then we can talk but you know um i i will say i like again you know the it's hard to sort of step away from the controversial takes but I mean, he he talks about education the way Africans talk about education, and I'm sure, Darg, because you're now on the verge of achieving a PhD, you receive the same message. But as African immigrants, my parents are African immigrants, and I'm sure Kahlo, yourself, but your parents as well. I mean, education is the most important thing on this planet, and regardless of what you have to say about Dr. Umar Johnson. He absolutely prioritizes and believes education is the ticket for many people. And he he called out the NBA basketball culture, people wanting to achieve those dreams, which I have no issue with because clearly a lot of people achieve it and they succeed and live great lives because of that. But, you know, I mean, education is 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 just as uh good of a dream um there's an article i can send to you guys later by the way listeners check out the show notes the article says that i don't know how they did their math but they said that it's it's easier for a young black man to become an nfl player than it is for him to become a school psychologist so you know the the i bring that up just to say that like school psychology aside education is a much very viable sort of option and for people uh, to build lives and careers i'll just throw out a a quick case anecdote this is what we do listeners this is what we do as psychologists we talk about cases all the time and it's always fantastic but when i was doing uh mental health in a community healthcare center i had a, a young man a latino man who was uh 14 i believe he had been prescribed stimulants since five or six or seven or something he he at the time his at 14 was not doing well in school was failing classes skipping classes you know and i had to get on a level with him that was sort of outside of all the bullshit and just be like you know what's good bro like give it to me real you know and and, and fortunately i think that is a benefit as being a black man you can kind of talk on that level with young men of color and i was just like why are you being prescribed stimulants how do we know that you have ADHD? Like there's no evaluation, recent evaluation. I don't think, I don't recall. I didn't find in the glorious epic, his uh, evaluations from from an old, a younger age. And, and, you know, I just was like, there is something wrong with this. Why is this man just being prescribed stimulants? Just nonstop, no sort of concern for the effects or at, whether it's actually helping him. And, you know, Dr. Umar kind of, gave clarity to me and he talked about how there's issues and disparities with black men and hispanic boys uh getting prescribed adhd medication they're getting evaluations for learning disabilities for oppositional defined disorder there's no rhyme or reason these diagnoses are just kind of being thrown around but the thing is that once you get slapped with it you're funneled into a pathway that could very well hinder your ability to achieve education or even go to the nba you know, um, so I, I think he made a lot of sense, um, which it turns out goes against the typical mental health orthodoxy. Um, anyway, I'm going to stop. What do y'all think about that mental health side, the psychology side that he presented to us? Yeah, so I'm, I, I think that, that um, Dr. Umar Johnson, he does justice. He does justice to, to black mental health for sure. And I think that was one of my most exciting 
parts about his conversation. I feel like the places that I disagreed with him were whenever he were most of the things that I disagree with Dr. Umar Johnson were outside of the psychology uh, premise, which I love because, you know, he is a school psychologist. and I love that his school psychology stuff is really dope and right on point. So one of them for me is that he genuinely loves black children. I mean, you can tell that. And maybe that's why parents showed up. It's because they're used to people, most people not loving their children. And here is this dude that loves our children. He's not even met them, but has dedicated his career to seeing how to make uh, things and education work for our children. And I think that's a really big need for black parents in America. Um, and I actually think black parents generally, uh, globally, because like I said, having grown up in, uh, in, in outside of the U.S., uh, educate, I've, I've, and I've grown up in, in Kenya, but I've also grown up in Europe, and I've never been in an education system where my needs as a black child or an African child are centered, centered. So I think this, I think that's one thing he offers, genuine love for black children. And he sees that through education, which is also something that, like you said, Tunde, black um, families just value. Um, so as a psychologist, he, he talked about things that black families love to would want to hear and always struggle to figure out and to navigate. And this is the piece of, you know, what happens if your child is, if you get a phone call and your child is, to, and you're told that your child has a behavioral issue, what happens when uh, the school psychologist says that they have diagnosed your child with ADHD? What happens when the psychiatrist says that your child needs to go on medication? He, these are questions that are never addressed for um, in 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 public psychology. You know, they're never they're never addressed with a cultural lens that accommodate the concerns of black families. Dr. Umar Johnson answers every single one, and he says the how. I that that just that made it for me. You know, he says, "Here's what you do when a." school calls, when the school calls and says that your child has behavioral issues, he says the how and the what, and he spells it out. And then, and this is what drives it home for me. So he talks about the things that no, that the, the, the black uh, parents are concerned with, but are never told about or talked to about. And then he goes on to say what to do. And finally, he puts himself there. He offers his services. He says, you know, if you get an evaluation, a psychological evaluation for your child and you and you want a second opinion, which you ought to, as is a recommendation in the general medical field, that if there's anything super concerning about a diagnosis, you ought to get a second opinion. Anything that is regarding, you know, you don't need to get a second opinion when you get a burn, but you need a second opinion for things that are, you know, that will potentially impact your education and your future. Uh, so he says... You, I will offer, I will offer second and second opinion f for free. Listen, that is just that that just made it for me. I have to, I just, I have to give him credit for that because we know what how much psychological evaluations cost, and then we know that because of how one costs, how much one costs, who's going to be going for a second opinion? 
to you know like who's who who has the time and the money for that even if you want it and so i feel like what's the saying like you put your money where your you put your mouth where your money your money where your mouth is Yes, you put your money where your mouth. I think he does that, right? He does just he just doesn't preach, but he was like, and he put out his email address and his telephone number. <sighs> he, yeah, that was that was for me the the the, the biggest part, um, and it just demonstrates what it what it means to be a black psychologist and to serve in 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 this in in this time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, real quick uh, before you go, Dari, I just want to say. These evaluations are so complicated. I, I, I'm, we've all done them, whether it's school evaluations or neuropsych evaluations or just general mental health psychological evaluations. I mean, these documents are make no sense to anyone except psychologists and other mental health professionals. So I can't imagine a parent who has a couple children who is working, uh, all day, maybe two jobs or something, who's not mm -hmm. deeply familiar with the speak, the lingo of psychology, mm -hmm. schools, education, who may even be an immigrant, may not have like the best mastery of English. I mean, the, the only real takeaway they have is the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And if it's something that's pretty serious, like ADHD, a learning disability, I mean, learning disability is like a very, very serious diagnosis in my opinion i mean it's basically saying that your child is not able to learn and is not able to sort of achieve the cognitive and intellectual ability that is expected of just you know baseline functioning you know so it's a pretty devastating diagnosis and these these evaluations there's so many opportunities for bias for uh you know people kind of imposing their own ideas on people you know maybe some student in a classroom just you know, has acts up a little bit, has some behavioral, behavioral issues. The teacher now is going to perhaps present like the uh, ultra bias, ultra, ultra anger or sort of angry uh, conception of the student's behavior, you know? So, so to have someone who was like able to kind of, you know, go through the, the bullshit of these evaluations, I think is a huge value. Um, anyway, dark, your thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, um, how can I put it? Uh, I think in this society for, for people of African descent in this country, um, Africanness, blackness, however you choose to call it is, is, is secondary. Um, it's an all, all alternative option It's it's presented as an alternative option. So when it comes to education, when it comes to curriculum, when it comes to, um, uh, how education, it, like who's leading education, all of that is sort of um, the the cultural lens is 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 for for people of African descent, their own narrative is secondary. So, and we can we can leave it there, right? Because that that holds a like just like that's like a drops the mic sort of experience culturally to to be in a place where something that's essential to you is just it's almost on the almost on the other side of the door. Like I don't, I don't. There's so many other things in life that we can compare to that and say like, oh, if this dynamic presented as it related to food or as it related to medication or something like that, like we'd be finished. So kind of like you said, Tunde, like there's this um, for a lot of parents, especially a lot of mothers, there's a sense of um, helplessness that's experienced after a, a long day of working. 
um, just sort of largely probably being out of the loop on like the day to day happenings of the child. You have these meetings and you get this diagnosis and um, yeah, I think it means so much to have someone to a give you the short and skinny of of what things are, how to respond, especially when you feel overwhelmed out of the loop and you don't have the time. And to also for somebody to communicate that extra sense of care that's that's almost <clears throat> always present in African culture. Um, so I feel like his extension of like offering his number and his email or just like, give, let me give you these extra points that you're not going to get is an extension of like centering that the African lens, the black lens on, on education. And um, it means so much to hear that, you know, and to see that and to have that model for a whole group of a whole group of uh, um, of people of, of African descent in varying ways. And, you know, the last point that I'll that I'll speak to is sort of um, a specific example of his cultural lens with ADHD being ain't no daddy at home syndrome, which um which I think is pretty like it has a it has a hint of of humor to it, but it also has a huge sort of like cultural context. Um, ain't no daddy at home, and when you hear it, it's like ah, oh, dang that that was so that was kind of slick. That made a lot of sense. But once you go back, at least for myself, when I went back and you know you sit alone with that term, ain't no daddy at home, and you sit with it like it sank down to the bottom of my stomach because um, a lot of uh, children of African descent, you know, ha have that experience of like where that that particular role, that particular perspective is um, is non-existent, and the 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 gender roles and just the 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 African family experience um, is largely cropped out of. Uh, of of the context in the in the United States. So it just speaks to I think this like it was nice in the moment and it clarified a lot. It was just this quick punch. But it's almost like a, a atom bomb too of just like everything that is in capture in um the experience of African youth in this country who are um I mean, almost in some ways missing a limb, like metaphorically, like missing, miss expected to to go through life and, and perform in the same way, but like missing this limb. Um, and we we forget what that means for how it impacts us physiologically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. And I feel like he made that, he connected that plug back to like, you know, when we're missing our mother all day, you know, when our mother is absent or our mother is like experiencing substance abuse or when our father is incarcerated or when he's um, just emotionally uninvolved or tapped out, you know, we can point to a lot of different things, but for for us, we got to consider this stuff. So um, it's definitely, um, I think it's relieving to add that context in and to know that like, you know, this is something that we can be way like this dynamic of like family roles and family context. We can be way more thoughtful about what this means for young people who are experiencing um, challenges in the, in the classroom. So, yeah. I, I feel like this is so you're Derek, you're taking me to the, to the things that rubbed me the wrong way with Dr. Umar. Um, 
yeah i mean and i don't know if we're going there yet we're still doing all the stuff that we took please (laughs) please (laughs) because so and i feel derek was was very as as is his nature uh gentle that's how he went about that statement but you know one of the things for me that i feel um uh that i would uh criticize or um dr umar johnson is the i don't feel like his um comments or his perspective on gender and roles are um i don't feel like they're very uh, contextual i think that they're a little bit rigid for me um and you gave a good example initially for when you said you know he did give the he, he invited all of us to this um conference couples conference or singles conference i forget uh but he said that women could only 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 women with natural hair can, come on listen as in are you for real are we in the 21st century like how is that a criteria <laughs> for coming to an an event and of course he 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 rationalized that by saying that's what that that, that you know that is based off his pan-africanness now listen as an african in the room I was like, are you for real? <laughs> I was like, really? Really? No, I feel we need to redefine Pan-Africanism, which is a question I have for you all. And I know I told you earlier, I'd love to have that discussion. I think we do need to define what is Pan-Africanism? What is being Afrocentric? Uh, because I I think that um, there is there can be some problematic uh, perceptions of what that is and problematic meaning that it may actually work against the cause which is you know the the unification of of people and folks from um the african um from the african continent uh, whether within it or without it so anyway so to this point about um ADHD as an acronym for um what's the acronym again um Ain't no daddy at home disorder. Ain't, yes. Ain't no daddy at home. Listen, my body, like, that was another cringe. So I had moments where my body cringed. And it was the invitation that excluded black women that have no natural hair. And it was this definition of this acronym for ADHD. And the thing about that, that, that acronym, Ain't no daddy at home disorder, I think that it is... It, it one of the problems with that is he does not give a context and i think that's what derek was kind of speaking to that you, you it it it's really harmful because do you know how many do you know how many do we even know how many of us in that room um had no daddy at home is it, are we aware of that as we are talking you know that was my question like are you aware of do you realize that maybe even 80% of your audience our parents did not have a dad at home and are you aware that that so that's just on a personal level okay which he did not even address the awareness so for me I was like dude you're unaware of who you're talking to and then the second part was let's go to the to the larger piece right um why is that uh, such a reality in the black community in the US let's start. why is it why, let's talk about that before we even make this a disorder why is it cuz there's a, a structural piece to this and and you know we can go about we can talk about the you know what the 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 US the US um as a country and its history has done to the black family and specifically black men 
And that, there was no mention of that. I don't. I, I think it's problematic as a psychologist and a black psychologist to speak about um, the lack of men in families and not give it a context. And I think it's it's hurtful and it's painful. And I felt I felt I felt like I did. I feel I felt it. Um, and um, I think yeah, I think that's important to say. So that's just jumping off uh, Derek's. Uh, uh, Derek's point. And then also, I think the final thing is um, research-wise, we having being psychologists, we've had to study dynamics of family and family dynamics. And we've actually realized that it's not really the absence of a parent that uh, that harms children, um, but it's the environment. So the nature of the environment that that is harmful to. So you can have a child grow up in with two parents, but if it's a hostile and a hostile environment that is just as harmful you know as as um having one parent who is also harmful and so it's not about the number of parents but it's the the environment that the child is in and so you you there are many 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 of us who have had a single parent and whose environment has been very healthy to to the larger extent and that is something important and that's this, this is what the research has shown us um and now my last point on this is that there is also a study that has that has actually been cited by the national by um NIH and um that has been recognized by the CDC and I'm forgetting the name and we should cite this uh, Tunde mm -hmm. but that actually shows they did a comparison between um black fathers and but, but no not black fathers but fathers generally in the US mm -hmm. and in terms of how present the presence of fathers in their children's lives and hear this black fathers came out to have to be the most present in their children's lives despite whether they were in the home or outside of the home and this included even fathers the study included fathers who are in jail so, and presence means contact, communication, mm -hmm. and there was all these things that define presence. And black fathers actually were rated the highest in terms of presence. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. And so basically, um, it just, it, it, I think Dr. Umar needs to read that study, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just wanted to speak on that point. Well, appreciate that. That's what we do on the podcast on hashtag RTBTH. You know, we try to reference the research, the literature. Um, thank you, Carlo. Uh, you know, I agree. Like, I was actually cringing myself from time to time. And I didn't know how to really take it because I'm not a parent, you know. So I, I just, like, I step us away from that conversation. But he said a lot of things like, if you stop being lazy, you know, go to go to school. You know, he would say this about, uh, you know, parents. And he directed a lot of, you know, his... You know, whatever he was trying to communicate to, to, to mothers, to black mothers, you know, and I, I understand there was a lot, there was a lot of encouragement in his words, but you know, there was a lot of like disparagement about people being lazy, people worrying about their Instagrams and their social medias or their, uh, fashion, you know, their nails more than their kids. And I'm sure there are those stereotypes, but of people who, who are that way, but you know, I, I don't, I mean, I just, think it's a little unfair to think, okay, so let's say there is a mother who works a lot. You know, she's not able to go to every after school event. You know, maybe even her child comes home and they're alone for several hours. 
You know, maybe the child even has to prepare their own dinner, which is not uncommon, you know, in, in some low income inner city families. You know, I, I don't know if you can say that this person is being lazy more so that they just have they do not have the resources to attend to their child on the level that Dr. Umar is in, imploring them to do so. You know, um, so he had he he spoke very assertively, very aggressively, I think. He feels probably that this is for the better. And, you know, he is, he has an hour, maybe 90 minutes to talk. So he doesn't have the time to like elaborate on every single thing in, in the most, uh, you know, sort of profound way, you know, but, um, yeah, he, you know, he definitely had his sort of abrasive comments, you know, um, well, we already started waiting in that area. Let's talk about the controversy guys. Let's talk about the controversy. Another thing that made me bristle. He said, do not invite your white friends to your home. He said that straight up. I asked a question. <laughs> I asked a question and he said, you don't have a white girlfriend, do you? <laughs> and I don't have a white girlfriend, but I have a couple very close black men friends who have white girlfriends and wives. And they are great people. And I just was like, Dr. Umar, I don't, I don't know how to make sense of this. I have white friends who I go to their house and we chill and we, you know, drink a little bit, you know, maybe smoke it, smoke it a little something, something, you know, we chill, we watch sports, you know, I, I don't know. Like, should I listen to Dr. Umar? Should I cancel these white people from my life? Um, so, yeah, I mean, how do y'all make sense of this, the, the sort of <laughs> controversial, the, the, the sort of real, like, uh inflammatory i guess you could say um comments that he made yeah so um i mean in the words of the man himself is debatable <laughs> it's debatable <laughs> i feel like if it, if it was a book or a movie that was that would be the title um but um yeah i i i like that i have an appreciation for being able to sit with these experiences and these sort of suggestions over time. And I do think they, they like you apply certain lessons as necessary, like certain feedback is necessary. And um, I think it all depends on like the, the, like the end result, you know, or the, the anticipated end result. And I think Dr. Umar has his own anticipated end result for, for, for Africans in the diaspora and just for, uh, the progress population, economics, uh, awareness. And he is expressing the means of getting there, which is, you know, being mindful of, uh, of inter interracial relations, you know, and, and I guess it boils down to whether like, what's the ex anticipated end result for, you know, for various folks, right? And what's their vehicle for getting there? You know, tune that you may have your own anticipated end result for for our community. Um and it may not, you know, it may not align with his and it may not, it may, it may be the exact same thing, but you may just have a, a, a different sort of vehicle for getting there. So I'm just like uh I feel like I'm still in a place of just like of just sitting with it. I think a lot of this is kind of like um, a case by case sort of situation, like maybe you're in high school getting this message and you're trying to figure out, okay, what am, like is 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 Dr. Umar gonna diagnose me with the snow bunny 
uh, crisis, like, or maybe you're in, you're in, you're in undergrad and you're trying to have, have a good time, you know, or maybe you're in grad school and you're trying to like, you're trying to, you're on the come up and you may not necessarily have the time for the different, for all the politics. But I guess what it boils down to after saying it is that there are politics, right? There's a certain dynamics that you can't get around as a, as an African in this, in this, in this, in this society. And, um, I think at the end of the day, it sort of boils down to um, to just to to being to being very very thoughtful of 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 how to survive and survive with integrity. Because a lot of the experiences that a lot of uh, a lot of graduate students, uh, undergrad students, I mean, we just got done talking about elementary school students with the uh, misdiagnoses and the prejudice. Uh, you can't talk about racism in some places, attack on critical consciousness. There are politics and there is survival unquestionably. Yeah, I think it boils down to to how to survive. You know, how 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 do you survive with integrity and his and that's his that's his stance. And um I, I'll say this lastly, I think it's important on finding out where the overlap is and how and how we survive. And not to limit our our sort of narrative to just, oh, we're just survivors. No, we we are thriving and we have to thrive, but I think it boils down to like seeing the ways that we do that and how they and how they how they overlap and how we agree to disagree um in some in some ways about where we stand with our uh with our politics and awareness of the consequences too because there are consequences and um i don't know if we have enough enough dialogue about what the consequences of certain of certain ex cultural experiences are you know um we talk about the the spending power within the black community in the united states and given the level of that there is a consequence for uh, the uh, lack of accountability or our mis misinformation around sort of our financial spendings as a community and as a culture, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there and I'll pass it along. But, um, but yeah, those are just my initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I think this goes back to what I was saying. I do think that Dr. Umar Johnson, his strength is when he speaks about school psychology. Um, I feel like that's his lane. And I'm learning. It's good to stick to your lane uh, because, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So I, I, I don't I don't feel like uh, a lot of his ideas outside of school psychology are, are, are very well developed. Um, and I feel like for such strong statements, you definitely need to develop um, like the the you need to. The, you need to give some nuances and to give some more information because they're very much very simple and straight to the point, which we all know that life is not that rigid and it's not just about doing this or not doing it. Um, and that's so that's how I perceive I perceive some of his statements that are outside of um, out of the realm of school psychology is that it's his position, like Derek has said. Um, but I also don't think that they're well-formed, uh, they're well-developed and, and that's fine. I have many things, you know, we can't develop, we can't spend our whole life developing everything. So he's definitely done a good job in the school psychology piece and that's his training. That's, you know, I give him props for that. On the social critique piece, um, gender stuff, when it comes to family stuff, when it comes to, um, you know, this kind of 
you know, friendship, what friendship looks like, cross, cross-racial friendship. I feel like he definitely has um, a stance, which he has every right to. Um, I do feel like, considering he is very well regarded, um, it would pay some humility to be like, that's not my lane. <laughs> and just stick to my lane but that's just my, my that's my perspective uh yeah I, I i felt it was too black and white uh but he's he's got his own he's his, i extend he's got the right to have an opinion uh, but it's too too black and white for me yeah um I, you know i will say you know and i don't want to put words into my mother's mouth too much but uh she she has warned me on the number of occasions to sort of be wary of white people, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think she talks about that as an immigrant. She came to the States to the Bay Area, which is a very progressive place. But back when she was, you know, growing up in the States, I mean, in the, in the Bay, you know, I think she maybe experienced some things here and there that were, you know, untoward, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, my dad, my dad as well, you know, he, he talks about now waking up to some discrimination he's experienced just now as a 60 year old man, you know, kind of like becoming more aware of some of the discrimination he experienced, you know? So I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's like, you know, I mean, Derek, you, you, you say nicely, like th- there's politics, you know, there's cultural relations, race relations. And a lot of our interactions, as much as we want to sort of diminish those issues and those concepts, and we want to create harmony. And, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated topic, but it's not like completely non-existent to many, many, many corners of the diaspora. Like we can say, okay, yeah, people, black people who grew up in the States or who grew up in the inner city in the States, they have that perspective, but it's not, it's not just that, you know, my African parents have communicated a strain of that concept to me of like, be wary of, you know, the white people in your life, you know, be on guard, you know, they, especially my mom always talks about black men, black men in America, blah, 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 this and this and this. She's always sort of encouraging some kind of awareness, you know, she's not overtly saying, you know, you know, she's not overtly saying like you have to just block out everything white in your life, you know, but she is encouraging where awareness. So I don't know. It's, I will say this, the man is complicated and I've learned through two (laughs) elections with Donald Trump, forgive me for bringing that man into our conversation, but it's impossible to make sense of things in just black and white terms sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And he is a part of that. He himself is a a representation of that. Like he's complicated as fuck. Look, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, he's preaching the right message about education and he's imploring all black people to become more educated, to take education seriously. So here's one thing that he mentioned. Um, He said, you know, Try if you can to go to HBCU, but if you can go to North Dakota, Wisconsin, Wyoming for free, go send your children there. He said this. He said, send your children to get an education. So he's willing to sort of break down his, uh, you know, I guess like inherent or innate like protective or defenses um, towards white people, I guess you could say, for people to get education. You know, he's imploring people to go and weather whatever those circumstances are in North Dakota to get an education. You know, so to me, he's preaching the right thing on that front. But on other things, he's 
I would say off base, you know, so it's a, a complicated man. Um, we had a great podcast, Kahlo. I gotta, I gotta set us up for the next podcast. You said that in, even in Kenya, you felt like the needs of black children, black students were not prioritized and put to the forefront. You had to go find other communities to explore that interest and that necessity, that need for yourself. And I'm just wondering, how does Western psychology even sound to you? It, like the, the, the theories, the diagnoses must just sound insane. Thoughts, Kahlo? Thoughts, Dark? I'm reflecting on um, what I, I, I definitely like the word complicated, that we are complicated human beings. And I think, I think that's so important also as Black folks, because I think that there's, there's a way that Blackness can be like described as so hegemonic, like just as a simple one layer slate. And yet there's so much to to people of African descent because they're, they're people at the end of the day. Yeah. So I definitely, I like ending on Dr. Umar as he's a human being. Absolutely. Complicated. I love that. Um, yeah. You know, psychology, Western psychology, the, the problem with it is that it doesn't even call itself what it is. It doesn't call itself Western psychology. It calls itself psychology. So you go into it, you know, thinking that it is all encompassing and all like it's, it's it that you will find yourself somewhere in there. And then you learn that you don't exist in that psychology. So that I think that's the for, for me, I can set us up by just saying the fact that it doesn't even show it it doesn't own itself it, it 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 it's from the beginning it's a lie <laughs> like it does it doesn't own it doesn't own who it is mm. um and i think that's so problematic especially because it is being taught in other in places outside of you know euro american spaces so there's a lot um there's a lot for me that um was was um you know when someone doesn't present themselves to you as who they are so you go into you 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 you're constantly getting shocked like every time you're learning something new about them because it's kind of like oh like oh like <laughs> it's like because you, you they they say they're this person and then they're not and so you're constantly it's, it's a really strange uh, if you think about it it's not a healthy relationship when you when you're when you're working with someone that is presenting themselves as one thing but they're actually another and i feel like psychology just just needs to know needs to call itself what it is western psychology or eurocentric psychology to begin with as mm -hmm. as 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 it goes out into the world so i'll just start there Gotcha. And real quick, before you go, Dari, I, I just want to say, like, I uh, did, uh, uh, like, I took, like, history of psychology or whatever, like, whatever, three years ago or so. And I was like, and I, and we were, we had to do a project and me and my partner did, like, um, like, a brief presentation on, like, Nigerian psychology and, like, some Nigerian psych, uh, researchers, psychologists. And, and I was like, if... If the whole entire concept of psychology and mental health started in Africa, I I don't think it would be like I know for a fact it wouldn't be what we have today, because a lot of it is dependent on culture. You know, other communities, other African communities are, are relied heavily, deeply on 
a communal experience. You know, we talk about fathers not being around and families getting caught up and not being con- uh, together fully. I mean, in Africa and Kahlo, I know you know this much better than I do. I mean, it's it's literally raised by community, raised by village. Like, you know, your mother could go and move to another country and you'll be good because you have aunties and uh, grandparents and fa- other, you know, neighbors who will raise you as if they're, you're their own. But so so things like that, I feel like if you started psychology in Africa or in another country that's not inundated with Western influence, it, it wouldn't be the psychology we have today. And and I just think specifically for you, Kahlo, from your upbringing in Kenya, you're being raised in Kenya, like you, this stuff probably has to just seem so insane to you for what yeah. actually is meaningful for people. But yeah. we'll we'll save yeah. that for another podcast. Dark, your thoughts. Yeah, so um I I agree with these sentiments and I think that Western psychology, you know, doesn't identify as what it is and so much of its contents come from it it doesn't doesn't come from here, you know. Mm. And um there's so much dialogue and and conversation that needs to happen about the the details of that and you know, where where these ideas and concepts and understandings originate from. Um, and again, going back to the consequences, what are the consequences of not putting things in their rightful context and the consequences of not giving, you know, giving giving credit, proper credit um, to where things come from, especially because these things are culturally, you know, culturally, culturally bound. Some of these understandings were made for communities and cultures um, who operated and functioned in a certain way and weren't probably weren't necessarily meant to be, you know, so, 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 so altered and transformed. Like there's so much that we can really consider with, you know, with this, you know, with this understanding. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. You know, I think it's so important to think about, um, to think about proper context, um, to think about uh, how we, as people of African descent, how we access the um, how we access the content, the, excuse me, the context, um, and hold it and hold it closely, and consider like the, I guess some of the, some of the potential outcomes that are that are that are happening in the future. You know, we have artificial intelligence, we have so many so many um policies and laws and dynamics that are existing to 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 damage the cultural experience um some classrooms we can't talk about racism like i'm just I'm, my mind is just blown at these dynamics and how we're expected to um to continue thriving or to reach our you know cultural you know our cultural cultural potential given given the dynamics as they stand so um it's so important to 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 really hold the you know hold the context and give culture its proper credit give these ideas you know give 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 the proper credit to where these ideas are coming from so that we can sort of move forward with the best understanding of psychology and how to support um how to support support uh support the people in the diaspora absolutely dark thank you for your comments i think that's a great uh, time and place to finish this first DKT podcast. I I got some homework. DKT. Yes, I got some homework. DKT, <laughs> DKT definitely yeah. goes hard. Yeah. I gotta go read about, you know, call it black psychology, African psychology. I there are theorists, as I'm sure you know, our beloved Dr. Martin Pierre. 
he's he's spoken to me about theorists from other parts of the world, Africa, perhaps maybe in the Caribbean, who develop, you know, theories about human experience and human suffering, you know, and uh, that to me, I think it's worthwhile to explore. Um, this podcast has encouraged me and motivated me to do so. This is hashtag RTBTH. We're going to be back. This is not one, not two, but three black psychologists talking to your earlobes. Paulo and Dark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, you know, hearing Dr. Umar was great. Being with y'all was great. But I think that, you know, we uh, there's a conversation that we can create that sounds interesting. <laughs> we'll see after this podcast is published. Uh, any last words? Um, just want to say thank you both for sharing your ideas, your time, and your wisdom. Uh, super duper appreciate um, just everything about your experience that you're contributing to to psychology, black psychology, and um, and what what happens next. So I'll be looking forward to to uh, to to talking more, and hopefully, um, you know, for for how it, however it goes, checking out some more um, important uh, figures, lectures, and, and and thinkers in our you know in our field. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I I want to shout out to Dr. Umar for I mean he 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 created yes. the basis for our coming yes. together and you know and having this conversation which again just goes back to the it's so important that he exists and that his voice exists. Um his complicated voice. <laughs> um and then I, I and shout out to Derek for seeing for for bringing us together for inviting us to Umar Johnson's uh talk and and for Tunde for for extending this conversation through such a great host. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm there, I'm feeling I'm feeling There was this. so much I'm more to be this. said after Dr. Mm -hmm. Umar. Mm -hmm. You know, it was uh sort of exploding out of us so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and you found a way to contain that. You know, that's powerful. That's powerful because that's the other thing we're talking about this with Derek is that there's so much need for spaces like these where we can mm -hmm. contain our ideas because, like we've all said, our field has no space for our ideas and our thoughts. And there's no, in our curriculum, our thoughts and ideas, and there's no space. So we have to create them. Um, so, yeah, hashtag RTBAT. Hashtag RTBTH. Real talk beyond the headlines. There we go. Yep. Thanks, man. Uh, that's what we do on the podcast. We're coming back. We'll be back with more. Real talk beyond the headlines. Peace. Peace.